0: The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by McThurs, American whiskeys, and by 291 Colorado Whiskey.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Fred Minnick Show. This week's episode, we talk about food. This is the first episode of The Fred Minnick Show where we have sat down and specifically talked about cooking food. I salivated so much with uh, Derek Wolf, who, by the way, is like he's going to like kind of shy away from it, but he is the God of over fire cooking. So if you go on to his socials, he's got more than a million followers. He's got a new book coming out called uh, food by fire, just a great guy. And he's a big bourbon fan, big bourbon fan. So we had some good times talking about how to cook everything from duck and rabbit and what this, how to season your steak to drink in some great bourbons. By the way, we're drinking, today we're drinking Nashville Barrel Company Rye Whiskey, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof A21, and one of my favorite, Makers Mark Private Selections. So enjoy this week's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor.
2: At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Mictors gets bottled until our master distiller Dan McKee and our master of maturation Andrea Wilson say it's just right. Mictor's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Mictor's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Mictor's Distillery. It's
0: all about the whiskey. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey. Unlike any other, passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single barrel and small batch whiskey Live fast, drink responsibly.
1: And joining the uh, Fred Minnick Show is somebody I share a publisher with, with uh, Derek Wolf. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Man, I'm excited to learn about open uh, open fire cooking because, um, you know, for those just, you know, who have not, are not one of the 15 kajillion million followers of yours on Instagram, you're like a god in like uh, open fire cooking. And
3: I, I not true.
1: <laughs> you, you, are, you are so a god, and we're going to come away with this with, like, 15 bourbon recipes and, like, a, and a whole pig. You know, I'm just envisioning this, like, this next cookout I have. We're going to have – we're going to, like, roast a pig inside a barrel that still has bourbon in it. That actually sounds kind of good.
3: I know. That does actually sound really good. Honestly, the funniest part is some of the best recipes come out when people make jokes like that. And <laughs> Wait, but what if? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Seriously yeah. though, c- could could you could you actually roast a hog in a bourbon barrel?
3: Could you pull I'm off? sure you could there's definitely something that we could do with the bourbon barrel. I've seen um I've seen some like sticky wings that will be finished off in like a rotating um, like they're cooking and rotating over the fire. So it'll be like a standstill fire on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like one of those like bingo ball kind of rotating uh, cooking rotisseries. And so I've seen stuff like that done. Um, I don't know. I think the best thing with a whole hog, if we're going right off the cusp is taking those staves um, and cooking with the staves themselves. Uh, Cause I know like uh, Lechon, Like in the philippines and stuff is cooked with coconut husks Um, okay so you could definitely do something very uh you know classic southern uh in some way cooking with uh with bourbon barrel staves uh whether it's shaved or just using them straight as your wood that'd be interesting
1: well i'm gonna i'm gonna pump your brain for more uh for more uh cooking knowledge but i want to get to the bourbons I sent you, I I actually sent you some really good stuff. I don't send people bad stuff. And I sent you one of my favorite all time uh, private barrel picks from uh, Maker's Mark. Uh, This was picked by the Washington, D.C. USO squad. And it's called the Warrior Spirit. So every one of these bottles went to raise money for one of my favorite charities, the USO. And then we have uh, the Nashville barrel. This is a rye whiskey, it's a batch. uh, I think this is all distilled in indiana so this is all this is an indiana rye that's bottled in nashville uh tennessee and uh then we have probably the headliner of today's tasting and that's elijah craig barrel proof uh batch a121 given that you have a palate you know f- and you have a taste for bourbon you will have to decide what your favorite is, Derek. Are you ready? Can you do this? Are you in? I hope so.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: All right. So let us let us begin with the with the makers mark.
3: Awesome.
1: So makers, uh, for a long time, makers just made one product. They made, you know, from the nineteen fifties to two thousand eleven, they made one product. And then they came out with a brand called Makers 46 as Bill Samuel Sr. was retiring. And they basically wanted to change the flavor profile without changing the, the recipe to make Makers Mark. So they added uh, French oak staves. So like the, the wood, like they added like wood inserts inside the barrel. And most of the bourbon barrels are made out of American oak. And French oak has more tannic acid. So if you, add, if you add something, you know, for a short amount of time uh, that has more acid, tannic acid in it, it can really change the flavor profile. And then people kept asking, like, hey, I want my own private barrel of Maker's Mark. This is something that's been going on for a very long time in the, in the bourbon business is people have been able to select their own barrels. And they were like, I want my own barrel for Maker's Mark. And they're like, yeah, you can't get your own barrel. So they, cr- they created a, a stave program. That um, they had, you know, unique staves that was like the forty-six stave. and then you could create your own, basically your own recipe. And this is um, uh, four French cuvee staves and six roasted French mocha staves. So, now, what is your experience? How often are you tasting bourbon? Do you do you taste bourbon while you cook?
3: You know, I'm. Um, I'm probably in that moderate range. Uh, I collect, and I have a lot of fun drinking it. Um, okay. I love tasting a lot of new stuff, um, but when it comes to like expertise and 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 just knowing specific palates, I mean, I read through. Uh, you you were generous enough to send me your book, and I was just having a lot of fun reading through some of the uh, flavor notes and mm-hmm. uh, n- noticing, you know, nutmeg forward or. Uh, just all kinds of that kind of uh interesting stuff for me. So I uh I definitely love to taste it, um but I probably am still uh, a little bit in a more moderate amateur level when it
1: comes So to- your your journey is your journey is just beginning. So yeah. what I like to do is uh, there's kind of like a four-point process for tasting for me. I kind of start with the color. Now color's not really anything that you can grade on. If you grade on color, it needs to be a low amount, like five points at most. But when bourbon goes into the barrel, it's as clear as the water from your tap. So every single day, you know, it is—it's um, in that barrel. It's interacting with that wood, drawing out that color, getting a lot of the flavor and the aromatic properties. And so you, when I look at this, to me, it's—it's just—it's just beautiful to look at. I like analyzing it. It's not like other types of whiskeys where they can add coloring to it. So Irish whiskey, scotch, they can add coloring to it. Canadian whiskey, they can add coloring to it. Rum can add coloring. But bourbon is is pure. It's straight pure. And then when we nose it, we'll bring it to your nose and kind of draw it with your mouth open. By, by smelling with your mouth open, you're relaxing your olfactory. You can pick up more than just the alcohol fumes. And then just kind of go side by side. You know, one nostril is always better than the others. And then... The best part, you just put it on your palate. You want to feel a little bit on your palate, just kind of feel it walk back. And then, you know, I don't have to tell you where how to how to work your tongue. You know how to work your tongue being a cook. But you know, a lot of a lot of times people just shoot the whiskey and it just goes, it just rolls back and they never really get the full sensation of it. So you want to feel it on your tongue and kind of feel it walk around a little bit. So here we go. It's our first verdict in.
3: taste the staves. And you can taste the, the customization of it, especially on the
1: back end. There's definitely those the bitterness there is is really pronounced on this, so there's a lot of you definitely get a, a different um, different style than you say you would with uh, uh, makers mark, you know. If you taste this blind you're like, this ain't makers mark. This doesn't taste like maker's mark. There's too much like back palate action, you know. But um yeah. It is indeed. Makers.
3: Well, I think that's some of the fun part um, for me with bourbon, because uh, I have a, I, one of my really good friends. His name is Drew Nick. Uh, he's mm-hmm. kind of my sous chef when I'm doing events and all kinds of fun stuff. But he uh, he's very, very, very into bourbon. Um, and he loves uh, doing just complete blind tastings, um, just like switching it up, putting, you know, a BTAC in there and then putting something that you would absolutely never expect, like just like just straight makers, 46 or something that's right. you know, in that 20 to $30 um, range. <clears throat> and so uh, it's always fun to just like switch things up and, and especially when you don't know what it is, you go in with no you know preconceived conception on if you are supposed to like it or not. Right. So so
1: you know it's is it do you find any similarities in like in like uh in the in the flavors of of bourbon you know and and cooking you know because bourbon is a very you know centralized you know it's got a set amount of flavor profiles there's not a whole you kind of you kind of in this like range here but cooking you you can kind of go all over but what is what do you feel like some of the similarities there are from a like when you taste uh, something in this
3: Well, I think that, um, you know, it really, when it comes to bourbon, the thing that I tend to gravitate towards is probably something that hits with a little bit more of a sweeter kick in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do love my higher proofs, So I love having that afterburn at the end. I think it is very similar, um, obviously different taste, but very similar to, um, specifically seasoning, especially on steaks. Um, people... It, you can tell a lot about a person by how they like to s- how they season their steak when no one's looking huh. um you know whether it's something that they're just doing straight salt and just classic traditional they can't do anything else um all the way to being adventurous with their flavor profiles um and so it is kind of funny i see a lot of similarities with um you know you can you you understand people's uh comfort levels and their. Uh, there's a lot of preconceived conceptions on how you're supposed to eat your food in a lot of ways, same with bourbon. Um, mm. There's definitely you know people um, I have friends that like to to add ice to it. I have people that will only you know have it straight or just maybe a couple little drops of water to open it up. Um, and, and so I think that when it comes to flavor too, um, it's funny because I'll see like my friend drew, Uh, he loves, uh, he appreciates spicier foods, uh, and somehow he always ends up gravitating towards a little bit more rye style bourbons and rye style whiskeys. So you, uh, there is a sweetness there, but I always taste a lot of spice, um, when it comes off of the rye. Uh, and then the funny thing for me is too, like I never even thought about the, um, like a nutmeg forward or some of those spiced flavors forward because when, I'm, when I cook my steak, I'm always doing salt, pepper and this surprises a lot of people, but I love adding cinnamon onto my steak. Um, so you can get this, it, it is not sweet at all. It just accentuates uh, a peppery spiced flavor. Um, and so it kind of goes with the way I really love having that after heat on bourbon as well. So I love those higher proofs, you know, 120, 125, um, kind of proof levels. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of similarities in even just specifics, like when it comes to how you just eat your steak and the similarity in how you like your bourbon.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, by the way, I'm a, I'm a, a Mediterranean salt, pepper, and, uh, ch- you know, olive oil and, uh, chopped garlic on, on mine. And yeah. that, that's how I roll. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I actually, I wrote a book on, I wrote a book on steak in 2010 for certified Angus beef. And I went around, I went around the country going to all these steak houses and tasting people's steaks. And I was at this place called, uh, uh the gaucho house in, um, in Seattle and he was serving prime and he had a he he had a peppercorn sauce with it and i was like why are you putting any kind of a sauce on a prime steak and he was just like friend just taste it and call me later i was like all right i'll do it and sure in the shit was it amazing and i've tried to i've tried to replicate that sauce never been able to so good <laughs> but but uh, i love that analogy because meat meat and bourbon very 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 similar in, in terms of like the, the range of, of flavor because they are they have range but they're also narrow you know and there's only so much you can do to uh a steak and um without screwing it up but a lot of it is how you cook it so yeah. all right yeah. so let's 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 go to let's go to your expertise here we just tasted this, uh, this Maker's Mark Private Selection, the Warrior Spirit. What are you grilling with that? What are you eating with that right there?
3: Um, I have a—so I like the subtle sweetness that comes off of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably accentuate it even a little bit more with some garlic and peppercorn um, in a classic. I have a mesquite peppercorn lager— uh, Seasoning that I infused with beer, but I probably do something very similar to that. Um, garlic, peppercorn, maybe a little bit of herb flavors coming off of that uh, steak to kind of continue the sweetness. Um, lots of garlic, but that's also a good answer for just about anything with steak. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do, I do find that uh, bourbon is a great uh, is is a great pairing with steak but some um uh, i have found some to be too sweet uh up against it you know so i like i like those that are a little bit more savory like to me like a bookers bookers and steak is a really great pairing because there's a lot of savory notes in there
3: yeah yeah honestly i think um most of the time when i'm cooking i am just cons- i'm just consuming the mm-hmm. Um, so I don't often cook with it. Um, but
1: is out, is bourbon hard to cook with you know, on the open flame setting?
3: Not necessarily. I think mm-hmm. it's really just about how you pair it. Um, and what it pairs well with and how far can you push the limit? I mean, one of the things I'm going to say early on is, um, I like to test the boundaries of, uh, flavor. Um, I like to question if we can do some, if something's traditional, why can't we do it different? Um, I mean, yesterday I did, uh, I did a pork belly that I didn't even do burn ends or anything. I'll just, I'll saute it basically in cast iron in my wok. Um, And then I seasoned it with a honey sriracha style seasoning and then pulled it out, took out the fat from the pork. um, And then I deglazed it using some bourbon. And adding back in the bourbon, a little bit of honey, um, some soy sauce, garlic and ginger paste, uh, mixing that all together. I think it just it's like quick, fast uh, pork belly burn ends without really being burn ends since you're just really sauteing it. Uh, But the fun part about it for me is that I mean, pork inherently has a lot of salt saltiness to it. So mm-hmm. um, adding in that soy and a little bit of honey and then the bourbon itself, letting that sauce simmer down and thicken, um, I think that it, it pairs really well cooking wise. Uh, but I do agree with you. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I tend to avoid when I'm drinking and eating is weeded whiskeys. Um, I find that they can be uh, a little too sweet for my palate um when i'm trying to enjoy something savory uh or even something that has a little bit of spiced spiciness to it they can basically counteract it and i don't necessarily find that uh, as attractive um mm. when i'm eating and consuming
1: okay so that is um first of all can you give us the recipe for that like you know can you follow up with me give me the recipe to that pork belly and i'll put it in the show notes
3: yeah because we'll be uh, next week. So. Oh,
1: great. Uh, then, yeah. we'll, then we can just link back to it. So I'm just I'm like hearing this recipe and I'm like, first of all, I, apparently I didn't have a big enough lunch because I'm starving now after hearing <laughs> you talk about it. But um, as we go into the, the rye, I know you said you um you know, you get to pick up a lot of spiciness in the ryes. Uh, you know, that we're going to a rye that has uh it typically it's coming from Indiana. So it's just coming from the mGP ingredients distillery that has um, a 95% rye recipe and there's a lot of like herbal notes that come in with it
3: okay
1: uh, but uh, I, I, I would like to find out a little bit about how you got started as like like I was saying from the top being a god of, uh, of open open fire cooking and I know you're you're very humble to say that but seriously okay. folks, You know, Derek is considered like, you know, like a god in this in the sphere. And it's one of the and the timing of it, too, is like this is, you know, your your talent coincides with like uh, the lust for visual presentation of food, you know, and man, fire says presentation unlike any other. So how did you how did you get into this this great world of cooking on an open fire?
3: Um, Well, I'll tell uh, two things first. One, um, you don't need to be a chef to do this. Uh, I have no formal culinary training. Uh, I'm still learning and I'm totally okay with being critiqued on if I did or do something wrong. Um, And the second thing is I came straight out of corporate America. So basically five years ago, I graduated college. My wife and I, we got married and mm-hmm. I was starting to do statistical analytics for an accounting firm, which is about as boring as it was to actually say that out loud. Um, <laughs> and uh, man, I, I have a creativeness to me, but I also just really love data and seeing trends. And so I, um, I watched an Argentinian chef, Francis Molman, uh, on Netflix on Chef's Table. Uh, it had just come out, and I just watched this guy cook over fire like cooking legitimate food, not hot dogs and hamburgers. And I grew up cooking outside and I come from a family of foodies. Uh, all our vacations were centered around food. Uh, and it just blew my mind that I could camp or be near an open fire and it could be something that was legitimate. I, it was weird because I you know, growing up grilling, was one thing, but doing it over an open fire and using fire to um, cook your food outside of like a grill uh, was just mind blowing to me. And so I graduated and I remember just saying, man, I need an outlet. Um, So we got a, a Canon DSLR camera as a wedding present and a fire pit as a wedding present. I just went over to an outdoor shop, bought myself a little popover grill grate and made myself skirt steak with like a simple chimichurri recipe um, on a weekend. And the literally the minute after I cooked it, I was absolutely hooked. Um, mm. The visualness of it, the smell of fire, uh, the smell of smoke, the smell of meat cooking over open flame. Um, and so I, I was just addicted to it and spent the next couple of weekends just the whole time cooking random crap, uh, whatever I could get my hands on. I uh, jokingly say that I'm the Ron Swanson of social media. I <laughs> I, I, uh, I, do it for a living, but I slightly, uh, there's things that I don't love about social media. And so I've always really tried to be authentic in and, and any way possible. And so um, when I first started the page, I was just inspired by people around me. Uh, My wife told me I should just start an Instagram page and I didn't even really love social didn't even have one So any social media Um, And so I started the Instagram page called over the fire cooking Uh, at first, it was just me cooking on the weekends and then Like showcasing some of my favorite chefs and the crazy stuff that they were cooking Mm -hmm. Um, And next thing I knew people were really interested in the recipes that I was writing just for fun for my family Uh, and so we started the blog and about two years into it, I uh, was able to quit my job. Uh, we were not making any money, like whatsoever. There was nothing coming in. But my wife was just like, "Just go for it." She was so, so emphatic and supportive. Um, and I went for it. And the next thing I knew, within two years, we were we were able to let have her quit her own job. Um, and so we expanded well past Instagram as where we started, but we're on Facebook, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Pinterest, our blog. We write three recipes a week. We're doing recipe videos. uh, We're doing tutorials, cooking events, um, all kinds of stuff. And so it's been a crazy, crazy journey. Um, But now, you know, you call me a fire cooking God, I am not, I'm just a dude that is a pyro and a meathead. That cooks in my backyard and drinks <laughs> bourbon. Well, I mean, I think that's probably why you know I
1: I refer to you that way is because you have you're genuine, right? You know, there's not anything that's fake about you, and you know, we we all know that social media is where uh, fake is on steroids in some in some ways, and it's like yeah, uh, it's so it's really refreshing for me to see someone with over a million. Uh, followers on, on Instagram have, you know, to be so real and, you know, be so in touch with what, what they do. And by the way, i spent a lot of time in Argentina and those cooking that they really do cook a lot outside over open flames. And I remember they, um, one minute there was a lamb over here. The next, next minute it was on a spigot over there, you know, so they, uh, it's not, that a good place to be a pig or a lamb but <laughs> it's good if you like if you like the good eating but um thanks for thanks a lot for for sharing that uh as we as we kind of let's let's now take a look at um at the nashville barrel company small batch rye whiskey batch two
3: you know what this guy I actually get a lot of apple notes this
1: I was gonna say. This is breaking away from the typical nose of an MGP rye.
3: Yeah,
1: this is very very different. Wow. You hit you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's Apple City. Yeah, Apple right City there. with some like cinnamon. So it's like a
3: literally just about to say that it's It's crazy yeah not any caramel not like a weird not any smooth sweetness almost more just like apple pie yeah
1: absolutely yeah this is this is like an apple pie with a a good bite of baked apple with a little Mm -hmm. little dusting of cinnamon there just absolutely absolutely interesting
3: Tastes like grandma put a little too much cinnamon right at the end. Just like it, it like just, <laughs> just
1: right at the end. Like, oh. Grandma's grandma's lost her taste a little bit, so she needs more mm-hmm. cinnamon on there to be able to taste it. So
3: that's really good. You know, it's funny. I never gravitated towards rice in the beginning. I, maybe I just had bad experiences with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the older I've gotten, the more I really appreciate. It's just a, It's it's a it's a fantastic flavor that You can drink on pretty much all occasions. Um, you know, it's just it's it's really good, and I love that spiciness. I find even in my cooking. I mean, you're, as I've been thinking more about the similarities between uh, bourbon and my flavor profiles there, as well as with my cooking, um, I always get criticized with my friends because I I love spicy food, so I'm always adding in some extra spice and. I did a short period of my life in El Paso, Texas, so I was mm-hmm. uh, really exposed to um, some fantastic Hispanic food. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really, really love adding in some fantastic chili flavors and um, smoky notes, but also a lot of cayenne and um, just a, those dried chilies. So the, the rye's have definitely been growing a little bit more
1: on me. Where does it picks out some really good ones. Where does smoked paprika fit in your, in your lineup of seasoning?
3: Uh, in what way? Like, how do I love to use it? Or? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause I, you know, I, I'm getting a, it, it's coming to mind cause I just got a hint of smoked paprika and I was like, you know, sometimes I put smoked paprika on my steak. What do what Derek hmm. does with smoked paprika? So, Hey, what do you do with smoked paprika?
3: <laughs> I mean, so I'm, As I kind of think about it, um, I don't think I've ever actually put paprika, smoked paprika on my steak. Uh, But I love it with chicken and I love it with pork. Um, Mm. A lot of Nash, like some of the the seasoning inside of my Nashville hot, um, when I make it at home, will have smoked paprika uh, as well as... um, a lot like that, uh, the pork recipe that I did with that Sriracha, um, honey Sriracha seasoning, uh, has smoked paprika. Um, it's really good. My, the only thing about paprika for me can be is that, um, it can be slightly over like once it's too much, it's just, it's just too much, Uh Um, which I think it can be said about pretty much everything on seasoning. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I do like paprika it's really good with nashville hot that and i add chipotle
1: with with nashville hot chicken is that
3: what
1: you yeah you know this this came up on a recent episode of of my show i gotta be careful with nashville hot chicken man <laughs> you uh you down you down the too hot and it tastes good and the next day your belly's just a hurting so bad Oh yeah. Whew, you gotta be
3: careful with that oh, yeah. stuff it's good man it's really good but it's deceptive Mm -hmm. Um, it's deceptively yeah hot and it builds with heat too it gets uh you know if you're doing something that's really insanely hot off off the bat you'll definitely taste it but when it's one of those where it's like just that upper level medium high Mm -hmm. you're going with it and then you're going with it and then it's just you can't you can't get enough ranch or blue cheese or anything (laughs) to to, to stop the burn.
1: (laughs) So what are your, what are your, so let's, let's take, um, let's just say in general, what's your, what's your top five seasonings, uh, per, per protein.
3: Okay. All right. Um, well, so I actually, uh, I work with Spiceology Um, I make my own seasonings that can be sold on spiceology.com. So I've been working with those guys for a while now. And so I have a few seasonings on there that are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to just stuff that I'm making at home or making by hand or anything like that, I really do love, I mean, salt, pepper, garlic is an easy answer. Um, If we're going most common here at my house, salt, pepper, garlic is pretty easy. Uh salt pepper cinnamon goes fantastic on pork chops. It goes really well on steak. Um it's a, it's just a fantastic combo. Uh I recently made a garlic peppercorn uh seasoning for steak that was just absolutely insane. Uh, multiple different peppercorns, um, tons of uh minced garlic, smash that all together with a bunch of different herbs. Um so that's one of my favorites. Uh from there, though, we make a um, we make our own little version of kind of kind of like Cajun uh, mm-hmm. style seasoning. I love that on steak as well. Um, definitely out there, uh, and man, honestly, infused salts just by itself, like just doing some really fantastic infused salts, uh, can be really fun. We I recently had one of my good friends, Brad Pros, Uh, From chilies and smoke come out here and we made a smoked tequila salt um, Mm. That we add on steak and it was so it's super freaking good.
1: How do you Um, add? How do you add the smoke to salt? What how how does that work?
3: I mean you're putting it in cast iron and then you're smoking it um in in your smoker Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's low it's kind of like smoked cheese um where it's just very low heat smoke um just trying to get the subtle flavor.
1: Um, and so the something like the tequila would just kind of like uh evaporate out or cook out or
3: well, so we'd actually we soak it in tequila and then we would um basically strain it so we get mm-hmm. all the tequila off so it's covered in the tequila and then we put it in the skillet and then we smoke it. Mm. Yeah.
1: Again, I'm still getting I'm getting hungry. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm thinking we need to do some bourbon soaked uh salts now, Derek.
3: That'd be like good, a, man. Let's do it. That sounds fantastic.
1: Man, I I, I like now I, I feel like I need to I need to start cooking it on an open fire. And one of the things that I have noticed is that, you know, wood wood is underrated and overrated. Like I, I have found like just basic oak. Cooks fantastic. And cherry wood, like everyone's all like, go get some cherry wood or hickory. You know, I feel like you know, so talk talk a little bit about the different types of uh of uh of woods and kind of what are your go to's for for that good open fire of cooking.
3: Oh yeah. Well, I mean it's not all that much different than uh bourbon barrels. I mean, White Oak is really hard to beat. It's so so I'm here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um Pretty easy to get my hands on oak here. Um, I do really love red oak, especially stuff that's out in California. That's a classic San Maria Southern and you know just like California mm-hmm. uh, style cooking. Um, really love some red oak and some white oak. Uh, hickory is somewhat easy to get here. My issue with hickory is that it can be a little overpowering on the smokiness um, a lot of people don't know it. They definitely, when you're, when you get into cooking, uh, you definitely hear a lot about mesquite being very, very, very smoky. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I would, and it is very smoky. Uh, hickory can be overpowering. I do like cherry, but specifically wild cherry. So I get lucky. I have my family, um, owns a campground out in East Tennessee. And so they're cutting down a lot of, uh, trees and, Anytime they need to like renovate or trees fall or whatever, so they get a lot of uh, wild cherry, and then uh, my father-in-law will season it for me. Um, so I get I get a chance to cook with wild cherry a lot, and it's just a beautiful, you know, subtle sweetness. Uh, really fantastic on pretty much anything. Um, but you know, a lot of people say uh, whatever it is, make sure you're getting some good. Uh, hardwoods, some fruit woods, make sure it's kiln dried at least, or something seasoned in some way, you know, Hmm. not really all that much fun to deal with popping and sizzling and water coming out of the side of your, uh, of your wood, because it's not going to stay, not give you that consistent heat that you need. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I remember, uh, I remember cooking with like, uh, you know, some pecan wood um, that was not all the way uh, dry. It was not a fun experience as the the meat was kind of smoldery and yeah. um, you can really impart some unwanted flavors when you don't cook with uh, when you cook with the wrong type of wood. Um,
3: yeah. When it gets sizzling like that and smoky, that's when you start getting your white smoke and even in barbecue, they always talk about this. So you're not, like the blue smoke um, where it's nice, clean Uh, you're getting not overpowering, bitter smoke flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that like very similar to like bourbon, I mean, sometimes um, too much aging can just be way too overpowering on the flavor profile. Yeah, Um, And so it's finding that beautiful balance of just because it's, uh, you know, just because it has strong flavor doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be overpowering with it um, because it'll just be overpowered. I've had plenty of chicken and stuff that I've smoked that, um, you know, you don't watch the fire or whatever. And the next thing you know, it's a bunch of white smoke. And it's just the chicken looks beautiful because it's that beautiful brown rubyish color, but it's just bitter on the outside because the smoke is just, it's just bitter. Um, So clean smoke uh, makes a big difference. And that goes for open fire cooking as well um keeping a good clean smoke and uh you know you run into those issues if you don't have good seasoned wood
1: yeah so let now let's go to our what we what we what i think is probably our headliner of the tasting let's see elijah craig barrel proof batch 121 You know, you gotta, you you come with like a barrel-proof product. You know, you get uh, kind of look at that that color and all its glory. It's just basically they're just basically slapping slapping out the char and slight filtration to it, and boom,
3: in the bottle. This is obviously the highest proof.
1: Yeah, this is uh, 123. Point six proof, uh, the rye was 100 proof, and the makers was 108.2. Mm. Yeah. Kind of like a chocolate pecan note there,
3: I really like. Yeah, I definitely taste the chocolate. Or um, maybe almost like cocoa. Yeah, you know it's funny. The makers, the makers had a distinct beginning palette of, uh, at least for me, grain. Mm. Uh, the Nashville has a very uh, um, apple-forward flavor, and the Elijah Craig, uh, yeah, I think he hit it right on the head with the chocolatey cocoa. That's interesting. You know, funny thing too, is not all the time, the proof doesn't necessarily always mean that it's better by any means, just because it has a little bit more kick and flavor and alcohol. Right. But yet I'm still probably already slightly leaning towards this Elijah Craig. (laughs) It's hard to beat, that's really good.
1: It's pretty well layered, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, um, and I tasted this recently, recently too, and it did, it did okay in in a blind tasting, but today it's just like, for me, it's really tasting great. Now here's the fun part. Let's go back to the other two. You are, you only, you're only working with one glass or do you have another glass? Can you go back and can you do a side by side?
3: I can do a side by side. Alright,
1: so let's do a side by side. Let's let's choose our let's choose our uh our, our victor today. Okay. I'm gonna go back to the makers. Yeah. With a big old butterscotch on that thing now. Good lord. I have found that uh these makers like Private barrels really need time to open up. It's almost like their whiskey still kind of like readjusting from the stays being added to them. Now, that's absolute horseshit. There's no scientific evidence to it, but and I just feel like this whiskey changes with, with oxygen to it to smell can, so different.
3: I can definitely taste the butterscotch notes that you're talking about. Was not expecting that though. There was part of me that wanted to be like, oh, he's making this. He's making that up. (laughs) Because it is funny. I mean, the thing that I've learned with, you know, especially with bourbon or any form of alcohol, even wine and stuff, there are distinctive notes. um, But, like, everybody picks up some different different flavors. Absolutely. There's not a a perfect science, but... um, I mean, wine is a different different story. I feel like there's it's a little bit more um, explored in some way. But
1: well, so here's here's the thing. There's a lot of uh, pushed on flavor profiles in wine. You know, you have you have an industry of, of people telling you this is what you should taste, yeah. and I do not believe for one second that I have the right to tell you that you should be tasting butterscotch in this i merely say i taste butterscotch um and you know wine you know and i I had a very good career in wine and it's there's very different you know kind of beliefs in tasting in in the two genres i am of the belief that you know as individuals we all have our own flavor profiles and as, as as individuals we taste different from day to day, and I slept like shit last night. And when I sleep like shit, you know that impacts my palate. I had a cheeseburger for lunch, you know, with ketchup and mustard. That could have an impact on my palate. You know, so there's all these variables that have a play on on how you taste, and um, and you know, the whiskey doesn't change, you change. Well, that was that was kind of like my initial point is that I believe that these makers' products change with oxygen because they are they're still kind of like bonding, if you will, after being pulled from the barrel, like being in the barrel. So that's why I think that makers like changes a little bit. These uh, private barrels do with with some oxygen, whereas the other two, we'll go back to them. There may be a degree of difference, but not nearly as noticeable in my opinion but uh but so I, that's that's my belief of tasting is like we're all individuals and no one should tell you uh what you should taste i only i only try to teach people how to taste for themselves right. so
3: i mean there are definitely overpowering flavors in differences i mean shoot if you go well into the whiskey category and no and not just specifically bourbon it's very mm-hmm. distinctive in absolutely alcohol. Palette flavor and differences. I mean, and that's probably a distinction between wine and bourbon is bourbon is almost like saying Cabernet Sauvignon itself, and not Mm -hmm. even just wine in general, um, because there's probably distinctive flavors that come out of specifically bourbon. Whereas like, you know, my my dad loves scotch and I've I've had Irish whiskeys, I've had Welsh whiskeys, Mm-hmm. Um, Taiwanese whiskeys, like you've had all these different kind of flavor profiles, and so they all vary very differently, all because the process is very different.
1: And- absolutely, absolutely, and and like how they, you know, you would taste if you taste like a, a Taiwanese whiskey, um, uh, for for example, you know, there is there is a lot of like side palate uh, bitterness in in those you know I taste that someone else may say it's there's a sweetness to it and what I what I have found is is that it's it's not necessarily about what you taste but it's where it's hitting your tongue and like if you can identify how things hit your tongue then you can break things down better and that is that's the big gap in tasting and unfortunately you know the tasting profession and whiskey there's not a lot of us and so and everybody kind of a lot of people have like their own formulas and how they do things and uh it's really only been going on since the 90s but it's and then there's big burnout ratio and spirits tasting because I mean for god's sakes you're tasting spirits and at some point you're like you know what I really don't want to die at 55 so I'm going to want to want to cut back today you know so There's a health. It's
3: it's similar. There's, (laughs) I mean, we have to, I have to be very careful. A lot of the food that we cook, I I get this question all the time. Like, are you eating all that food? I only cook three times a week. So Mm. I'm sharing different cuts of videos and things like that from old uh, recipes and stuff. But I also live right down the street from my parents and from my brother and sister-in-law. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. And so we're able to really just share that with all our family. Um, so I think that there's a lot, uh, in in the barbecue industry as well. I, you know, we work out consistently, my wife and I. my, My wife is a fitness trainer. Um, so staying, uh, staying healthy in an industry that, uh, can easily get unhealthy if you're not paying attention to
1: it. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and, you know, Derek, I've, I was, i've always been uber responsible with this stuff but when covid when covid hit my ass sat on a couch and drank like literally i just i would i would drink and watch tv you know and it just covid i think covid took me out of like my responsibility channel and i'm just kind of getting back into like the workout groove and everything but i mean i put on i put on 15 pounds and i'm a i'm a boy that can't afford 15 pounds
3: you know (laughs) what i'm saying (laughs) <laughs> I know what you're saying I mean I we were I um I really really love cigars as well same so here yeah I found myself once people started to be feel a little bit more comfortable it would just be like me and my two best friends and they we would rotate like coming over to my place or going over to my friends drew uh, and we would just smoke cigars probably once a week and I was like man this was not the this was not the intended how things used to be. It used to be like once a month mm-hmm. when we were doing something fun, but there was nothing. To, you know, you find yourself with nothing to do, and um, all the gyms were closed, and uh, you would rather just be with your friends and enjoy the time that you have. And so, I think that there was a lot of benefit out of that, enjoying um, community and and stuff. But you know, being responsible in all of it um, that's definitely been a trend an attitude, especially as I've gotten larger on socials, just being aware and -hmm. having your ducks in a row. I mean, I've definitely not been perfect in my whole social media career. I mean, it's pretty hard to do it, especially when it's so, I mean, you feel like you're just, you're venturing out into blue ocean without anybody telling you every detail and what to expect. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely understand. And uh, I think that it's been fun. To kind of grow in that as well
1: not to change the subject but you brought up ducks have you ever done duck on an open fire
3: absolutely um
1: tell me about it what's your what's your recipe like how do you cook how do you cook a duck on the open fire because there's so much fat it's got like all the searing i've got to imagine the flames would be going up like how do you how do you contain the fat how do you cook duck on an open fire
3: there's, a, there's some good ways on doing um, reverse searing with duck. Uh, so the concept of reverse searing is um, basically cooking at a low temperature indirectly until you hit internal temperature um, that you're looking for. So a lot of people have no idea, um, but there, there are differences between medium, medium rare, rare, the whole nine yards, well done, all that stuff, of which has shifted. Uh, dramatically as technology has increased when it comes to um, better being able to prevent against diseases and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm, when it comes to cattle mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of animals has definitely changed. Uh, and so uh, it's all about internal temperature. And so I always cook my steaks to about 120, which is about medium rare-ish, um, depending on kind of what you're looking for. Um, so the idea of reverse searing is basically cooking with no direct heat um, and then hitting that internal temp that you're shooting for with duck, which off the top of my head, I can't remember the internal temp with duck. Um, and then when you let it rest and then you'll sear it really fast. Um, I really prefer to only cook with like duck breast. Um, there's just so much. Oh, so, so
1: you want to do a whole duck. By the way, the internal temperature according to USDA
3: for mm. the whole duck is 165.
1: 165. So it all just
3: depends. There's a lot of restaurants that will, there's a lot of USDA recommendations. I think the USDA recommendation for steak is 145, and that would be considered well done, um, in my opinion. And so, yep. yeah, with, with beef, 120 is medium rare. um Um, but it shifts too i mean shoot now we're in a place where we're having beef tartare um where for a long period of time i just don't necessarily think that that was a very common way of having even though it's cooked inside the the acid um from from citric acid uh it's just different um and so like i remember having an argument with my wife's grandma during uh, holidays. She... Hold on. Wait, you're arguing with your wife's grandma? <laughs> Bro, it, listen. No, it was, it was, I, so everybody in family and holiday makes me cook the main dish. Whatever yeah. is, so it's, you know, prime rib or turkey or whatever, which is a blessing and a curse. Just telling anybody that's interested in that. I mean, um, you want to be the guy that grills, that's great, but then you're also the guy that's up. Christmas Eve, you know, prepping, getting things together, making sure it's all good to go uh, the whole nine yards. And so uh, I remember my wife's grandma, her name is um, Margaret. uh, And uh, anyway, she, we call her Nana, um, but it's just so funny because uh, she pulled out her Betty Crocker cookbook um, and said, no, I cooked the steak to 120, I did prime rib, uh, standing prime rib, and um, she was like, no, that is completely raw. And I was like, "It's no, it's not, like this is it's 120 degrees internal temp, like it's fantastic, it's beautiful, I love this cut uh, cooked to this temperature. And she gets out her Betty Crocker cookbook from like the 1960s and the internal temp um, for medium rare is 145. Uh, And so it just, it's funny to me, that's when I kind of started doing research on like, has the temperatures kind of changed and shifted um, as technology and our better, uh, and just our responsibility with keeping meat healthier. Um, So yes, it has shifted and it's funny. Now we're at a place where medium rare to chefs is within that 120 degree, 120 to 125 temperature but it definitely has changed um over time so it's no longer one forty five. So now with uh Nana um I get a big prime rib standing roast and I'll cut her off a two bone segment and I'll cook that thing. I'll pull mine at one twenty and then I'll cook hers to one forty five and pull it. Um so yeah that was definitely definitely a learning moment for me.
1: <laughs> well i I think also like you got to be careful with arguing nana you're not gonna win she was right she was right
3: (laughs) i backed off real quick especially when she showed me the betty crocker i knew exactly (laughs) i was in the wrong and i cooked that thing to exactly how she liked it and uh, now we know i've never done that since that was like three four years ago when i when i was a new new kid on the block i thought i knew everything and nana she sure put me in in my place that's for sure
1: <laughs> love it well let's take a look at our verdict here what yep. is uh what is your number one whiskey of the day oh first of all have you had a chance to go back
3: through all three of them i'm finished i'm i'm just trying now the elijah craig for the second time
1: uh i'm going on my second bottle of elijah craig right now i'm going to pour it one more time
3: all right there
1: go. it's good
3: so the brown sugar like it's like opening up a bag of brown sugar
1: mm-hmm.
3: off of that Elijah Craig barrel proof
1: i so badly want to um want a drew state a cigar with this right here
3: it's Ooh, a like sweet a yeah there's a what? sweetness
1: in those, you know mm mm
3: mm that's been man i've been straight up like that is what i go for is those drew estate cigars and i the one thing i would say to anybody that's a cigar fan um man you you do pay for what you get um that is true yeah if you're willing to step up your price point um the quality and just the aftermath of it um like it's, I mean, it's the same with alcohol. Like you, you pay for cheap beer and whiskey or whatever, the cheap alcohol, you're going to pay for it in some way in the morning because it just doesn't necessarily have the quality. Um, and, I, and I, I think, I don't
1: think good. you, I think when we look at the word cheap, you know, like there is a, there's a line, there's a lot of really great inexpensive bourbons. You can spend 15 bucks in Kentucky. And get a bourbon that's as every bit as good as a forty-dollar one,
3: you know. Uh, so I mean, well, maybe I should have stated just beer or wine specifically because that's all.
1: Yeah, I'm beer, beer and wine would would be accurate. Um, and it used to be, it, it used to be scotch. Uh, I think there's a lot more value in scotch now. But to, so anyway, do you do you have a verdict? Uh, can, can you rank these for me because? You, you, my friend, are, are now being sanctioned as an actual uh, taster here for the American Spirits Council of Tasters, and the winner will get this fine trophy here. So oh. Oh. This, is the, this is the ascot. This is the part of my, uh, my awards competition, the ascots.
3: Man, I'm gonna go with the Elijah Craig on number one, but I have to say, I have to say, the natural barrel ride the second time through was very smooth. Mm. Um,
1: so, like, so
3: a close second, very a, close. ooh, I think we almost I had an upset Elijah here. Craig is just because it's not even it's not even proof it's not even anything other than the fact that that is. That is the type of bourbon that I find myself drinking often. Um, I love the boldness of it. I love the sweetness of it. I said it in the beginning, I really do love a good sweet bourbon in some way. This one has a very mm-hmm. powerful brown sugar flavor. Um, it just tastes It tastes what, you know, what you hope bourbon would taste like. Um, however, the Nashville Barrel Rye is sneaky for me the first time i had it it was uh sharp a little sharp for my flavor uh profile definitely had a bite to it mm-hmm. um but as i went up in proof and kind of elevated the uh on my flavor profile um i started to taste the a smooth um sweet spice to it um which honestly it so I think that it's very close second. Um, and the maker's mark was absolutely fantastic. I, I don't necessarily go for that green uh, flavor in the beginning, but, I mean, it, I would never pass up that box.
1: Well, I, I'm going to bot- tell you, I mean, I think you're on to something with this Nashville uh, barrel rye in that I, I get a note in here that's like taking a, a piece of sugarcane. Now people mistake sugarcane as being sweet. It is not sweet but you get like a raw piece of sugarcane the chewy you can kind of chump on it. It's got like that kind of like earthiness, that beautiness of it. Uh, there is something going on with this Nashville barrel rye that supersedes like any anything that I ever thought about mGP whiskey because yeah. what what he has done here is he has created something unique. From a distillery that's basically been like, you can spot them every single time. I don't. There's there's a common note in an MGP rise deal, the the herb deal, like dill pickle, and I get that in every single one of them. Every single one of them, no matter if it's cash strength, fifteen years old, no matter what, I get a, a a piece of deal in there. I do not get it in this Nashville barrel. Rather, I get a sugarcane, um, uh, an incredible sugarcane, raw sugarcane note. So mm. it's kind of skews a little bit on that same side, but to me, it's a graduated flavor profile. And I think the blender did a fantastic job on it. But I am with you, you know, the leader in the clubhouse, while the Nashville barrel showed very well. Uh, Everyone knows what I think of this particular uh, Maker's Mark selection. I'm very high on it. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, But this uh, Elijah Craig barrel proof today is just tasting straight up money. It's so good. It's so good. It is
3: very good. I was honestly, I was slightly thinking um, the Nashville barrel. I actually did a very limited edition run with Nashville barrel company. Um, so we have like a very select few bottles left. So I was, I was. Oh, so do you, you did like a private barrel pick with them? I did. I did a private barrel pick a month ago. Um, it was a seven year rye. Um, still probably one of the best ryes. I think they really shifted my opinion on rye, rye whiskey. Um, and so, man, I'll have to send you that one. I honestly thought you were going to try and slip it in under my nose, like do, uh, a little, uh, Derek Wolf's over the fire cooking barrel. Uh,
1: had I, had I known, I totally would have,
3: mm-hmm. I would have,
1: would have reached out to the owner and be like, Hey, uh, those guys
3: are great too, man. They're, they're absolutely yeah. fantastic guys.
1: Very philanthropic. Uh, yep. you know, just generally like fantastic people. But, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this, this is why we taste, we taste and we all have our own preferences. We all have our own kind of like uh, desires and what we want out of whatever we're eating or tasting. But uh, and, and moods have a big play in it. There's a reason why I want, after talking to you, like right now, I just want to go throw a, a big old hunk of meat on the, on an open flame and just throw a little bit of salt on it and just eat it later, you know? I mean, yeah. it has that... A- what about rabbit? Have you ever cooked rabbit on the open flame? No,
3: I haven't actually cooked rabbit. I have a really good friend, Tim uh, Van Dorn, who is out of Alabama, and he has done um, some rabbit and stuff. Um, but honestly, a lot of game um, or a lot of like wild game, uh, elk, venison, um, all that kind of stuff. I really would love to venture in to more. Um, you know, I just didn't really grow up like a hunter or anything, so. Uh, I think that um, I've I've gone hunting. I've done that, but it's hard to get your hands on elk unless you actually. Go
1: yeah, I think I think the deal here. is is like you go in with hunting parties. You're not doing oh, the work. You're do- not doing the work. You're doing the cooking, you know. So they, oh. you know, and then I'm along with you, and I'm doing the bourbon pairings with it. Like I'm well, seeing like this, I'm seeing like this whole thing now.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll go out to like Montana or something once COVID restrictions get better. Yeah. And we can, um, get all our bourbon tasting. You do bourbon tasting every night, and I'll I'll cook a different weird part of elk. So,
1: so let's go. Let's go to the tips part of uh, of our conversation. Somebody okay. wants to get into open fire cooking. Yep. What? Where do they start? And what are some tips you have for them?
3: So I think a good place to start with open fire cooking is um, if you have no experience with just charcoal cooking i think that that's a good beginning phase for some people Um, i would say 50 percent of americans have experienced or have experienced cooking on charcoal um it's just you know it, it is real wood getting lump charcoal itself not briquettes but lump charcoal real wood great flavor um, a lot mm-hmm. more control over it because you have a lot of that uh, beginning phase of uh, the fire breaking down and getting it to a good temp is already taken care of for you. I think that that's a good place to start. I also think same with same with um, some whiskeys, which also, or with bourbons, uh, and it, it is kind of funny you bring that up on just like, there are fantastic grills, uh, or there are fantastic whiskeys that are uh, good prices. Um, I mean one of my favorites is uh, old granddad. I mean, that's just oh, yeah Um, Especially for just you know, just getting out there and having some really good uh, Bourbon for a lower price. There are still really good grills out there that are not $1,500 to get started Um, I mean, there are some fantastic kettle grills that are out there. There are some even just simple popover grill grades, but there is a little bit of you pay for what you get. If you can get something that has good airflow, um, Mm -hmm. you can control it well, and it has good insulation to some degree, um, you're gonna maintain a lot better temperatures and it will maintain that for a longer period of time. Um, All that being said though, if you want to get into fire cooking, uh, my number one thing that I always say So do charcoal, buy yourself something that is a good grill or something that's within your price point. Um, But the second thing is buy two of anything you're about to cook uh, because you might mess up the first one uh, and then the second one you'll get it right or you'll get lucky and do the first one right and you'll know what you did right and you can do the second one right and you got more food. So um, that's always what I did. I the first year of me cooking was basically buying two of everything because I knew I'd probably burn, destroy, or undercook the first thing that I started to learn how to cook. Um, and then honestly, just be adventurous with it. There's no, there are there are some do's and don'ts when it comes to cooking over fire, but at the end of the day, it really is up to you. Same with flavor profile and palate. Um, if you love smoked paprika on your steaks there's no one that can tell you wrong about that Um, (laughs) if you if you like just salt that's great like it does it does not matter my only thing i always say to people is quote traditional cooking was at one point not traditional um Mm -hmm. yeah so
1: lobster was once the peasants food barbecue was thought to be of the lesser class. I mean, now nah, we At crave those. Point,
3: the thing that you esteem the most and the way they cook it was some point, not the way that they did it, or it was not even a cut worthy of them cooking. Uh, and so I think that we've, we have, uh, we need to stop glorifying the way it's done and start mm-hmm. appreciating that there are many ways that it can be done. Um, and so I love that. I think that that's been the one fun thing about fire cooking is the immersion into different cultures uh, and the immersion into understanding that there are people that think differently than me um, and the understanding that, man, there are flavor profiles that are similar yet different. Uh, and the fun thing at the end of the day when it comes to fire cooking, and I say this, um, you brought it up in the beginning. So we're, we're uh, um, publisher buddies, but I have Food by Fire, my new cookbook. Uh, is coming out at the end of May. And the one thing I say in that cookbook is maybe at the end of the day, we start to find out through fire cooking that we're not all that different uh, when it comes to where we grew up, where we are in the flavors that we understand. I think, you know, you look at Samoan culture and you look at uh, South American culture, you even look at native American culture and they all cooked food in pits underground and they did not have any necessarily direct connection to each other they just understood problem solving um they're all human and so i think that it's encouraging Um, we we find ourselves in a place where there's a lot of separation in the world and maybe maybe just understanding that we're able to solve problems similarly even if we didn't know each other uh might be a good place to start
1: well, that's a fantastic point, and you know I know we're we're north of an hour here, and uh you you probably gotta go cook a like a a whole cow or something you know <laughs> or a pig and you know we, we gotta do that bourbon barrel uh cookery thing that's gonna be amazing but i I do have to say like everybody like listening, go check out food by fire. It is true. Quarto, the publisher of this book, also published Rum Curious, Bourbon Curious, Bourbon: The Rise, Fallen and Rebirth of American Whiskey for me, and um, you know Eric Gilge is an amazing publisher, a great human being, and he connected us for this awesome opportunity. Um, you know to talk and and like I want I'm gonna I want every one of my listeners to go buy that book. And post it on social media. You'll find Derek at uh, Over the Fire Cooking on Instagram, and look for Derek Wolf. He's the one with the blue uh, check mark. You know, don't fall for any of the imposters. But uh, I meant what I said from the beginning, my friend. You are a god in open fire cooking, and um, you know what level of god that's up for you to decide. I just I just know that you uh, you. Like if I'm if I need something cooked over the open fire, I'm hiring you to do it. So, it's uh, it was really great uh, to chat with you, and I, I look forward to reading your book. And you know, most importantly, welcome to the Quarto family of, uh, hey, of books.
3: Go. Well, thanks <laughs> for having me on. Man. Absolutely, it's been fun. Um, I love trying different bourbons. I love uh, the idea of getting people out there and, and learning about flavor profiles and their palates and learning what they like and what they don't like. And I just, I, I love, <clears throat> I love the attitude that the bourbon community has uh, kind of established. And that is um, empowering people to find what they enjoy and enjoy it responsibly. So I think that's that how that's we really, roll. Yeah, man.
1: It's Until great. you, until you get into the secondary market, then there's a whole different attitude. It's uh, there's a whole lot of fuck you in that area. So,
3: well, I've definitely avoided that one because I I keep all those bottles to myself. So, good for you, man.
1: Good for you. Well, hey, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person and, and sharing yeah. a dram and a and a probably a rib or something. But, uh, <laughs> cheers to you with the uh, with our with our pick of the day, and that's this Elijah Craig Barrel Proof pick it was you already drank your second glass my goodness you're on that thing
3: it's it's talking about health i definitely i definitely drink my my well here's (laughs) the thing
1: you know they say it could be good for you so cheers my friend accept that
3: whether it's scientific (laughs) or not (laughs) cheers (laughs) cheers
1: and that's gonna do it for this week's episode a big shout out to uh derek for coming on i just can't say enough about that guy what a great interview and I ain't kidding you. I really do want to sit down with him, and on a hunting trip, and like see these fellas bring in like the game that they just you know uh, brought in. We'll harvest it right there, cook it over an open fire, and drink all kinds of bourbon until the sun comes up. I I think that'd be a great time, don't you? You want to join us? You want to come with us? I think it'd be a good time. But that's gonna do it for this week's episode. And make sure you're following me on all the social medias. Look for my name, Fred Minnick. And also, give us a review while, uh, while you're at it. It helps with our podcast algorithms. And we are all at the mercy of the algorithm today. But that's going to do it. Be safe out there. No licking handrails. No licking trash cans. And remember, vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>
0: listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by Michter's American Whiskeys and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to fredminnick.com.